Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. Baptism is our theme for today. We've noticed that baptism is an absolute necessity in the sight of God. We are people who are united because of our understanding and our practice of baptism. And that allows us to be a part of the resurrection that Jesus had when he was ascended to heaven, and we too will ascend to heaven. There's no doubt that we believe that, we teach that, we practice that, we stand upon that. But sometimes we are unsure how to present that idea. There are many things that we are responsible for as a church, many things that God wants us to accept, to understand, from which we find authority in His Word, and we're supposed to teach and practice those things. And so many of those things become things that might tend to be important for themselves as an identifying mark, more like a check mark. More like, okay, let's see, we have elders, hmm, we must be a true church. We sing and take the Lord's Supper, we are involved in prayer and in giving and studying the Word, check. We got proper worship. And we could go along and check off everything in some way, maybe even develop the mentality that says those things become sacraments for our church. That word sacrament is a word that means that the emphasis of the salvation comes from practicing that, from doing that. It is a holy thing, and in doing it, it makes us holy. Well, that's not the way God wants us to be. We are holy, therefore. We are doing to be holy. We are holy, therefore. We try to find what does God want? What does He expect? How does He want us to live and worship together? When you think about what people say about us, as I said this morning, we can identify a number of things that people would say, oh, I know who you are. You are those people. Well, certainly one of those is the subject of baptism. And I want us tonight to be able to understand the importance, yes, of baptism, but I want to give you a way that you can carry every single day with you a way to teach what the Bible teaches about the subject of baptism. There's a man by the name of Scott Adair who is a professor at Harding University 
And he wrote an article that has admittedly opened my eyes and changed my thinking and my life in many ways. And I appreciate, I'll be reaching out to him to thank him for that. What I have for you tonight comes a lot from that and using his ideas because we are people who believe certain things, but we're a little hesitant sometimes either to, to teach for sure, and maybe we don't really understand the background and the depth. And this is so deep and so wide, we could spend months in intense discussion about these things. But I want to give you a way that you can walk around with this lesson in your person every day from this day forward. But let me first say this. We are not people who are in the business of deciding who's in heaven and who's in hell. I don't judge people. I don't try to judge people and say, well, you are doing this so you're lost. Now, there are things that the Bible says are absolutely a part of being a saved person. For instance, in Acts 16, when, when Paul was facing the Philippian jailer, having been released from prison by an angel and this miraculous thing caught the Philippian jailer and he said, what am I going to do? And Peter said, if you believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved in your household. Can anyone be saved who does not believe in Jesus? No. Therefore, if someone says, well, I don't believe Jesus is real anyway, well, then I can say, because Scripture says I can say, well, that means you're lost. And I don't have any problem with saying, not because that's my judgment, but rather that's my understanding and my teaching of the Word of God, because that's necessary. We would all understand that a person who says, I'm not going to repent, I don't care what you say or what you do, I'm not repenting, Okay. Well, the Bible then says that you're lost. Because 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 says that godly sorrow produces repentance not to be regretted. If you don't want to repent, how can you be saved? I know that John in 1 John 5, 14 through 17 spoke about the sin not unto death. And he said, for that sin I do not say you ought to pray. Well, in that particular case, the sin not unto death is any sin that someone repents of, and it now is not going to cause death. But if you have a sin that you don't repent of, I can't pray for that. I can't pray that God will forgive someone who refuses to repent. So if a person says, I'm not going to repent, well, I would have to say that you are a lost person. Not because I have said it, but because God said it in His Word. And when God says it, I can repeat what God says. Which is why when Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. I can say without hesitation, 
that a person who is not baptized into Jesus Christ is in a lost condition before the Lord. There are things that the Bible teaches that way. There are other things that I believe that we practice, that we base our lives both corporately and individually on the authority of God's Word that I would not say those things about. But I certainly do believe that about baptism. Let's move into a deeper understanding The point for tonight is not only for you to take something with you, and it's so simple, I I think you will learn it and be able to repeat it in just a little while. But it is also deeper than sometimes we think. It is possible. It is possible in the span of just a few short minutes or hours to teach someone about Jesus and baptize them into him in that period of time. And we always say, well, in Acts chapter 2, what did those people know? When that first gospel sermon was preached, what did they know, part of which was read right here? Well, they knew that. That's it. That's all they knew. And that day, 3,000 of them were baptized into Jesus Christ. We accept that they were saved people, though they knew comparatively little about what we understand Christianity to be. And so the idea is that we can take someone and teach them the gospel, and baptize them in a very brief time. Part of that is because God wants people to know and understand. He's not trying to hide the message. He's not trying to sneak up on people. It is so easy, in fact, to understand that I could walk into a third grade class at any moment and spend just a few minutes talking about God and the Bible and Jesus, and He died for you. And and when He died for you, He wants you to be with Him, and He wants you to be baptized to be with Him. Are you ready to do it? And all of those third graders would jump up and say, yeah, I'll do it. Because it's easy to teach a child. It's easy to teach an adult who has an open heart and mind that God loves them, and here's how you can be saved from your sins. But I would not want to do that to the third grade class. I'm not trying to decide for me who is old enough to learn and be saved and who is not. But common sense will set in and say, should we do that? Well, the facts are easy. They got them. They understood them. And I could read the verse and they would say, let's do it. Through the years, many parents have been troubled by their young children. In their minds, too young to be immersed into Jesus Christ as a responsible person. And they have said, 
what are we going to do? Because they just keep talking about it and keep saying it. And it's a difficult question to answer because the default answer is, well, what's it going to hurt? I think the better answer, thankfully having found it some time back, is this. There's a way to ascertain to a great degree the mental position of that child. And I have for years handed lesson one of an easy to read Bible lesson to the child, not the parents. And I say, now you take this lesson because you can read and you study it and you fill out the answers and then you come see me and we'll talk about it and I'll give you lesson number two. There happen to be seven lessons. Not one single child that parents thought were too young ever went past lesson one. Is that because they're not dedicated people? No, they love Jesus, but they're not mature. They're okay in the sight of God. They are children, and God takes care of them. There will come a point at which they'll be ready to study. And it helps to relieve the mind when you can see that that child isn't ready because they didn't finish that lesson on their own. They really were just trying to do something that in their heart they know is right, and maybe a friend did it, and, but we can help them by doing it that way. Therefore, number two, I want you to think about this. Baptism is more than what we sometimes think of it being. We might get lost simply in teaching the act of baptism without teaching the depth of what's going on. I've encountered many adults through the years who have gotten into their 20s and 30s and 40s, who had obeyed the gospel at a young age, maybe early teens, and they had all been raised in churches that teach what I just was talking about. And so it made sense that they would obey it. But then in their older age, they start doubting, did I do the right thing? And I can understand it. I went through it too. And every one of us who were baptized at a young age has had this common experience, right? If you were baptized into Jesus Christ at a young age, you have lived a far worse life after baptism than you ever did before. And you'd have to admit that, wouldn't you? Well, that makes sense because when you're 12 or 13, you haven't even been tempted by all the things that you're going to be tempted by. Baptism is not some kind of miraculous thing that keeps the devil away. The truth of the matter is, 
that's when the devil steps up his game. Because now he's got to get you back because he lost you. So baptism, if taught in a deeper way, it might help those people understand more what they're doing. And it might help us who believe in it to understand it better and more deeply. So let's learn the lesson together. I'm not going to give you everything because I haven't even done everything myself, but you can begin working on it. If you want a way to study with a friend, to help them know what the gospel is, I think this will help. Here we go. Get ready, because you have it with you. Thumbs up. Jesus is the Lord. When I understand that Jesus is Lord, and I'm willing to confess who that is, Paul said in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you can be saved. So baptism is about accepting the fact that Jesus is the Lord. Now you think for just a minute about everything connected to that idea. Ask yourself, what does it mean for Jesus to be the Lord of your life? What does it mean when you say, I confess that Jesus is the Son of God? Can I believe that the virgin birth may not be real like we talked about in class this morning and still be confessing Jesus? I don't think so. Can I say he's Lord, but mm, he may not be God. He was just a created being. Can I do that and be confessing Jesus? Nope. So when you talk to someone and you begin by saying Jesus is Lord, you can find verses and structure that talk about the Lordship of Jesus and what that means. And that begins this lesson of teaching someone who's lost. And then you say, and by the way, God is number one. What's the greatest command? Jesus was asked. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 28 that, that Jesus one day is going to present the church to God so that God may be all in all. God is number one. What does that mean to say that God is number one? Well, does God lie? Titus chapter 1 says he can't do that. Well, then if God said, for instance, that he created the world, then can I say that God is number one if I deny that God created? I don't think so. If God is number one, then why would I want to have other gods? 
And I could maybe talk about the Old Testament encounters of people who got involved in idol worship and God was displeased. And, and I could go to Acts 17 and show that they had all of these idol gods except there was one God called the unknown God. And Paul said, I'm going to talk to you about him. God is number one. And if I'm willing to understand and accept all that's involved in God being number one, can't you think of some verses? Can't you think of some Lessons that you could draw for somebody to show that God is number one. Then you would say, peace, man. It's real simple. Peace comes when, like Jesus, I die to sin. And I am buried in water as he was buried. And I rise to walk a new life. Peace. You could also say victory. Because now I know that I'm at peace with God. Because Romans 6 and 4, because I've been buried with Jesus in baptism. And now I have peace with God. And I have victory over sin as we talked this morning because sin has brought death and baptism removes it. And then I could say, and I could teach, I need to be committed to Jesus. Those of us that have the ring on the finger, we know what it means to be committed. We know what it means because we have to do it and we do it or we've seen it abused and not done. And we understand commitment. Commitment is a decision. It's a decision that overrides emotion when I don't feel it, I do it anyway because it's what's right. And when Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might present her a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And then in verse 31 he said, I speak a mystery. But this is about the church. In commitment, I can teach about the church that Jesus bought with his own blood. I can teach about my allegiance now, not only to Jesus, but to a part of the Lord's church. How can you accept Jesus and not accept his church? It would, like, it would be as though you were dedicated to a head that had no body. Because Jesus is the head of the body, which is his church. Can't you teach commitment and find all kinds of things in Scripture that connect to the church, the commitment level to each other, as well as to Jesus? 
I need you. The weakest finger, I need you. I'm little. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, when we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. To say that I need Jesus means that I can't do it by myself. And anyone who refuses to give up self, who's going to rely on self, going to do it my way, how can they be saved? Baptism says, I accept that I am too weak on my own. And I need you. And can't you think of many ways to teach the need that we have for Jesus? Lord, I'm going to take everything you want to give me. He who believes and is baptized, Paul said it this way, or Peter did, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I could teach a lot about what in baptism as a child of God now I am receiving from God. He's putting it in my hand. I'm not just receiving His Spirit. I'm receiving forgiveness. I'm receiving family connection. I'm receiving the grace and mercy of God. You could spend a lot of time, couldn't you? Talking to someone about what God gives and baptism represents. And finally, my hope is in you. One day, I'm going to come see you. As Peter said, 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, be ready always to give an answer for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You have a hope of being in heaven. You have a hope of being with all the saved of all time. You don't have to walk around as a condemned person. Can't you spend a lot of time in baptism, in a discussion with someone about the hope that is there? You can do it now, can't you? Thumbs up, what is this? You're welcome to say. I guess we'll... We're going to start the whole lesson over <laughs> because obviously I'm either a bad teacher or they're bad learners. So let's try this one more time or you're going to get a double dose. Thumbs up. Confess Jesus. Who is number one? God is. What's this? Peace and victory. What about here? Commitment to him. What about this? I'm weak and I need you. I've got the gifts that you want to give me, and I'm coming home. Man, can't you teach that? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that great? Let me make it even bigger for you. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. You know what's in those seven things? There is one body. We talked about the church. 
There is one spirit that we've been given. You're called in one hope of your calling. There is one Lord, one faith, the faith of someone that says, I can't do it on my own. I need you. There is one baptism, and there is one God. Those seven ones. But I want to close by having you think about one more thing. If you go back on your own to Acts chapter 2, when you really think about it, no, they didn't know all the things that we do. They didn't know the depth of everything. But you know what they knew? You know what they knew? They were told that Jesus is the Lord and you have to confess him. They knew that God was number one. Peter taught them to be baptized, to die to sin and be buried and rise again. Though they didn't understand it, they were taught to be baptized. They were making a commitment because they were coming out of Judaism and making a whole brand new statement. They knew they were weak because Peter said, you killed him. And they said, what are we going to do? And they received the gift of the Spirit. They received the cleansing of their sins. And they heard about this Jesus who had gone back to heaven next to God. He didn't stay in the Hadean realm. He was resurrected, and you will be too. Those people in Acts, they were introduced to every one of those topics. They really did know more than just baptism. But now we, with all the information available to us, but number two, with all of the counter information that we have to deal with when we talk to people, we probably need to dig a little deeper. You can take this lesson with you. Now, not one of us should ever say, I don't know what to do. Because all you got to do is start right there. And you're ready to teach somebody the gospel. I hope it's been helpful to you. It has sure changed me. And I'm sure there will be more that will come later. Maybe tonight someone needs to do this or needs to have us pray on your behalf. We're always ready and available. Our shepherds will meet you as we stand and sing together. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.